This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Speaking to his flock in the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon, we join Archbishop Alexander Sample as he reflects upon our faith, culture, and life in the church on The Voice of the Shepherd. Joining Archbishop Sample is your host, Dina Marie Hale. And now, The Voice of the Shepherd. Greetings and welcome to The Voice of the Shepherd. In for Archbishop Sample this week is Auxiliary Bishop Peter Smith. Bishop Smith, it's always great to have you with us on The Voice of the Shepherd. Welcome back. Thank you, Dina Marie. It's always good to be with you on The Voice of the Shepherd and to talk about things of interest to our life of faith and the church. And greetings to all of you who are listening in directly or on other forms of social media. Glad you could be with us on Catholic Radio Northwest. This is a time of year where there's lots of transitions. We're closing out of the liturgical year, so to speak. We just had the Feast of Christ the King. We've got Thanksgiving, but then all of a sudden Advent and this time of preparation. So while it's supposed to be this time of quiet and hopefulness and peace, I think our schedules get a lot busier and we start to have a lot of things on the schedule. But let's just open up this time of Advent, this transition in the church. Uh, you know, what does the church really hope for us? What's really the theme or the content behind this time of Advent? Well, Dina Marie, you put your finger on something that uh, impacts uh, those kinds of things and the busyness. I mean, we get into December and it's just our schedules get booked and the impact of Advent on our lives gets minimized. But Advent is four weeks in which we prepare. It's supposed to be a mini-retreat and not a penitential like Lent, but another way of just, it's like cleaning up our house for a very special guest, and the house being the church and our lives. So we clean it up and make it wonderful and warm and welcome for the coming of this particular guest that we would be expecting. And in this case, it's celebrating the incarnation, the birth of Jesus Christ. So the four weeks of Advent, as we go through it, and sometimes it's four full weeks, mm-hmm. and other times it's three weeks plus a day or two, and then we're there uh, celebrating on Christmas Eve. But the whole focus is on preparing ourselves for the coming of the Lord and the, the three comings of the Lord, uh, because there's the coming of the Lord at the end of time, Uh, which, as we end the church year, we are reminded of that in the readings. The coming of the Lord in the incarnation of Jesus Christ and his birth uh, in a particular place and time, and Jesus then begins his life and ministry from that. And then the third one is the coming of the Lord into our lives every day. We're reminded of that. So the Lord comes to us in all these different ways. And in Advent, we are preparing for the celebration of the coming of the Lord at Christmas, but at the same time, it's also a reminder to open our lives that what we celebrate at Christmas isn't just an historical event, but in a sense, that incarnation should be happening in us more and more and more every day. 
It's like I like to say to people on Mother's Day, you know, the kids, were you good for your your mom today? Yes. Well, you know, every day is Mother's Day. She doesn't stop being a mother every other day of the year, and you should treat her the same way every other day of the year as well. And it's the same thing with Christmas and with Easter and the Resurrection and Good Friday. These are all things that, yes, they're historical events, but they're also things that happen on an ongoing basis in our life. Christ's death for us and freeing us from sin happens all the time. And do we open our lives to that? So in preparation for Christmas, we we want to focus on these things. Uh, This year, in many of our parishes, we will be focusing on uh, the kerygma. Mm -hmm. As some some people know, we had this wonderful retreat with Acts 29. The priest did a uh, a year and a half ago. And part of the message was we have to proclaim the gospel to ourselves and be reminded of the basic gospel message. And Father Ricardo and his team summarized that in four basic words, which is created, captured, rescued, and respond. And Father Ricardo and his team will be joining us, or has did join us for the Archdiocese and Pastoral Assembly, and will be doing an edited version of that message. So more and more of our people hear the basic gospel message. So on the Sundays of Advent, where we can, we will be introducing those elements into the preaching, uh, just reminding us of why Christ came and what he what he, he did and how are we going to respond to that. Yeah, and I think that's such an important thing, Bishop Smith, to remind ourselves, sometimes we just, why am I coming to church? Why am I bringing my kids up in the faith? And and we see, I know at the the recent share so many people are praying for loved ones, particularly for children, for grandchildren who have fallen away from the faith. So we're, we're missing something in really understanding, not just with our heads, uh, but with our hearts. And as you talk about this um, Acts 29, uh, Father Ricardo, I know the amazing parishes, the different conferences that not only our priests, but a lot of the leadership teams in our parishes are starting to attend. You know, why this is so important to go back I guess to the basics, but it has to enter into our hearts and change our daily lives. So one thing I've noticed that married couples who have good marriages do is they get away periodically for a long weekend or a week together. So the couple will have family and friends take care of the children. So why do the husband and wife then go and spend this time together? It's to rekindle or strengthen their commitment to each other and their relationship to each other. Now, on a human level and a psychological level, we instinctively understand the importance of that because all these other things crowd in and around the relationship, that that which is life-giving between the couple. And so we need to do things periodically to refocus on that and give new fire to it. And in one sense, that's what we do with retreats. Uh, the retreat, when we come away for a retreat, that's what we're doing. We want to sort of refocus on that and clear all these other things away. Uh, that mean, it doesn't mean they're not important, but this is the thing, the relationship that is going to really bring life. And for us as Catholics and all Christians, this is the same thing in our relationship with God. If the relationship with God isn't there, if that isn't alive, if that isn't transforming us, then what happens is that sort of fades into the background and our life of faith becomes 
a bunch of obligations, a bunch of rules, and a bunch of this. And at some point, people just say, why am I doing this? Where is, as Pope Francis wrote in his first encyclical, the joy of the gospel? You know, so you see married couples with vibrant relationships, there's great joy with each other. And in a similar sense, in our relationship with God and our life of faith, we have to be connected with God in such a way that there's joy in our lives and it exudes from us. And that we have that, as we're talking about in the archdiocese, that life-giving, ongoing, transformative relationship with God. Absolutely. And it sounds like that's continuing to be that message that we need to have that cornerstone if we're going to build any ministries, if there's any service project that's going to grow, it has to come from a joyful soul and a soul that is um, touched by the Lord. Yeah, because if we are going to go forward and do anything, if it's not built on that kind of foundation, it's just going to be a pro forma thing some kind of program, some kind of this, some kind of that. You know, so you can, you can go through, again, using the example of marriage, you can go through uh, marriage seminars that teach you skills and so on to how to make your marriage work, work better. But the marriage is going to, to uh, survive or fall or thrive based on that relationship and commitment one to another. And the same thing's true in religious life. If that is that relationship with God isn't there, then you're just doing these things and going through the motions. And the same is true for all of us in our lives of faith. And if we don't have, if we have love, we make the sacrifices, we make time, we do all these things because we love. A person or a group of persons or a particular work that we have. And we've all seen people like this. There's this fire in them that burns for something. And if that's not there, then you can be doing good things. But people pick up fairly quickly that that isn't there. You know, I always go back to the example of Mother Teresa and her sisters. There are other groups in India and elsewhere in the world that do that same kind of work. They're NGOs. They're good people trying to do good in the world. But the people know the difference between what they're doing, and they're grateful for what these other groups are doing, and what Mother Teresa's sisters are doing. Because those sisters come with the love of God, and it's not just about meeting needs and doing good. It's about bringing the love of God to the people in these situations while doing those other things. Right. Bishop Smith is with us on The Voice of the Shepherd this week as we prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, and prepare our schedules, really, for this season of hope. I think that's really what you're saying. And when you mention that particular image, I think about Mother Teresa, and I think about one of the things that she had made so clear is this time in adoration that the sisters were supposed to spend that time before they went out and did those good works that you're talking about before that Mass adoration before the Lord. I think about uh, Fulton Sheen, uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, who always, no matter what kind of crazy schedule he had on the road, he would be with that holy hour. But we look at the lives of the saints, and it's what what did they do in their schedule? And I maybe reflect because we just started the program. We're going to have busier schedules. There will be the temptations of all the different Christmas programs, maybe the different parties, maybe all the different things that fill up our schedule. Where do we say enough is enough? Well, that takes some discipline. And uh, 
we have to, I think, sort of look at this and say, it, in one sense, it's good to be out and to celebrate Christmas, but a lot of these f- events and functions are more re- organizational and relationally based, which is a good thing mm-hmm. uh, because we're celebrating Christmas. But is this just an opportunity? Is this just filling up our time with all these events and so on? I mean, as somebody said to me once, it seems like we just eat our way through Advent <laughs> Christmas <laughs> <laughs> because of all these parties and functions. and every, Everybody wants a piece of you, and you sh- you, they want you there. So it, it's a little challenging at times to to try and keep a focus in the midst of all these extra things that go, go on. What's interesting about it is we have Christmas parties before Christmas, mm-hmm. you know, sort of Advent parties, and Mount Angel Abbey, the monks there do something very interesting. So if you go into the, the Abbey Church, there are no Christmas decorations up until the 24th. So it's all Advent-focused all mm-hmm. the way through until the morning of December the 24th. And then on the morning of December the 24th, that Abbey Church comes alive. <laughs> and out come all the Christmas decorations, the Christmas trees, all these other things. And then that's ready for the, the Midnight Mass on, for Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day. And they keep all those Christmas decorations up through to the to the baptism of the Lord. Living in the neighborhoods in the city, mm-hmm. it's, it's you, the Christmas. I mean, you've barely got over Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and the Christmas tree <laughs> lots are out there. People are, pu- are putting up their Christmas trees now. Christmas lights, I'm fine with that. People switch on their lights in their house <laughs> all the time. It's not. It's wonderful to see that. But we put up all this, all these Christmas celebrations, uh, Christmas decorations, through Advent, and then we celebrate Christmas. And a day or two later, we start seeing Christmas trees out on the curb for pickup. And it's almost like we've missed the whole of Advent. We're preparing for Christmas. We celebrate Christmas, and then on to the next thing. Whereas, for us as Catholics and Christians, uh, more sacramental church Christians. It's like we celebrate Advent, and then Christmas comes, and then we celebrate Christmas all the way through to the— some people do it to the 12 days of Christmas, but you can do it through to the baptism of the Lord. And that's the monks at Mount Angel do a great job with that, reminding us of what what is and what isn't with Advent and Christmas, so— Right, right. And you remind me, Bishop Smith, about just the power of prayer. And typically we'll see in our church, we'll see somewhere uh, an Advent wreath. And again, the countdown with the four candles, the three violet and the one rose-colored candle that we, you know, it's the slow anticipation that something big is coming. And that can certainly be done in our homes, whether it's at a a particular prayer area, or I like it at the center of the dinner table where, you know, before we go to dinner, we're lighting that next candle. But, But maybe speak a little bit, because we can take these these different devotions, we can take these practices into the home, into the convents. I mean, I know our sisters, our religious communities, they're doing the same thing. They've got the Advent practices during this time of year. Yeah, the church gives us lots of different, very practical things that we can do. I always remember as a kid, in Advent, we would get the Advent calendars. Now, there were six children in my family, (laughs) so it was this 
rotation of who got to open the right. little window for the day. <laughs> and it was a big deal. <laughs> you know, so my family, we would almost always do eat, uh, dinner in the evening, and we'd pray at the end of it. And during Advent, then we'd, after the dinner, okay, who's opening this day's one? And so we open it and read what's there. And so it became a nice countdown. Now, I have to be honest. Was there chocolate? There, there were all kinds of goodies. <laughs> I have to be honest, as as when we were younger kids, the the part of the joy of opening those windows on that Advent calendar was that it was a countdown calendar to Christmas, and mm-hmm. who knew what Santa was going to bring us? <laughs> <laughs> but there's an example where you get all these variations of Advent calendars, but the Advent wreath, I mean, that's a wonderful example. In and, and and our house where I live, we put it in the dinner table, and every evening we will will sing a particular uh, one verse of an Advent song, mm-hmm. read a little verse, and then light light one of the candles, whichever week it is. We keep working around, and then of course we can buy wreaths and we put them up, and we can put up lights um, as well. So there's little things you can do like that. I'll tell you a funny story. This happened at St. Rose Parish. All you St. Rose folks listening, <laughs> some of you may remember this. I think it was my second Advent I was there. So they have a very nice, big Advent wreath. Somebody built a base that, that you just put it on the steps going up to the altar. Mm. So it's at about a 45-degree angle. So it's really nice because you see all four candles Then You can see them all, though. The top two are higher than the bottom two because of the angle. So every Sunday we would have somebody come and light the, the candle. And that year I realized I always need to bless the wreath. This was the first Sunday of Advent. I always need to bless the wreath before the kid <laughs> lights the candle. <laughs> because what happened was we did the prayer, we did the blessing, this little boy lit the candle. He was so happy. And then I sprinkled holy water on it, and guess what happened? A big... A big blob of holy water landed right on that wick, and that candle went out, and the little boy's face was just... So I had to scramble very quickly and just say how lucky he is. He's going to get to do it twice. Twice. (laughs) But uh, I learned my lesson from that. In the future, I just said, we'll bless it first, and then we light the candle. But there are things like that that you can do, so... uh, we quite often will take a text and do readings from ad, some a little reading or meditation related to that at the dinner table. But other families may do other things for Advent, uh, all designed to remind us this is a special season. This is a season of preparation for celebrating the coming of Jesus uh, and the ways that he comes to us. Right. Bishop Smith with us on The Voice of the Shepherd as we prepare the way and enter into the Advent season. And we do get that full fourth week of Advent. In fact, Christmas falls on Sunday, Christmas Day this year. So we get the whole fourth week of Advent. So we get extra readings. And I think that's just, we don't get that every season, but it happens with our calendar. There's a lot of feasts throughout this month of um, December when we enter into it, but one I want to pick out because our our cathedral is named after St. Mary of the Immaculate Conception, and we have that beautiful Holy Day, December 8th, of the Feast of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Give us a sense of this feast, and particularly how the Immaculate Conception is personal for us here in, uh, in the Archdiocese of Portland, but also in our country. Well, it's personal to all Catholics because it's part of our faith, 
And if you look at the holy days of obligation that we have here in the United States, most of them tend to be Marian or related to Marian feasts, at least three. Uh, so we honor Mary in that way. It's personal to us here because of the cathedral is named for the Immaculate Conception. And it's personal to us in the United States because th- she's the patroness of the United States. So you, you have, if you go to Washington, D.C., on the campus of Catholic University, there's the, the basilica that's there. That's the national shrine, which is the shrine to the Immaculate Conception. So this is a big feast day. Now, it's a holy day of obligation, but because it so often falls on weekdays, not that not as many people are able to go to that celebration of that holy day of obligation. And I don't want to say sadly, but unfortunately, it's in very close proximity to another great Marian celebration, mm-hmm. which is not a holy day of obligation, but may as well be. Right. And that's Our Lady of Guadalupe on yeah. December the 12th, where if you want to see Marian devotion, uh, go to some of our parishes that are largely Latino and uh, just see the people come. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing to see them come uh, to Mass, to bring candles, to do the celebration. So the Blessed Mother is strongly represented in this mm-hmm. month of December, and then, of course, on January the 1st, New Year's Day as well. So Right, right. Everybody thinks it's a New Year's Day Mass, but it's really Mary, Mother, Mother of God. Mother of God. And then, of course, we have Mary celebrated as well at Christmas because of the part that she plays in the uh, birth of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. I'll tell you one other funny story. It's, uh, this happened, at, again, at St. Rose. The, the kids always do a little, on the early Mass on Christmas Eve, it's the family Mass. Mm-hmm. So there's a little Christmas pageant <laughs> that the little kids do. And I remember one year, Mary and Joseph come, and they're up in front of the altar, and as the person's reading the gospel, and Jesus was born, so this little girl playing Mary just reaches inside the, the, the cloth wrapped around her and just pulls out a doll of the baby <laughs> Jesus and puts him on the crib. And there, there was this one year, the way, the way this little girl did it, everybody was just started laughing. And uh, as one of the mothers said afterwards, if only childbirth were so easy. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I think that the joy really, you mentioned family mass, but I think every parish, and particularly if you've got a parish with a school, you've got just all of these children, you've got families, and this is how it, I think, couldn't every Sunday be like a family mass? I know some of the priests go, no, but there is something joyful about just seeing all of the families come for that celebration of Christmas Eve. Yeah, it's a way of including the children in the celebration and giving them a, a key part to play. What's happened, interestingly enough, in our parishes is those family masses have become the ones that are the most heavily attended. And I think part of it is because it's Christmas Eve, families want to come, and then others come and celebrate the Christmas Eve mass. Then they go home and have Christmas dinner, and they may open their gifts that, that night and then just relax the next day, or they go home and have their Christmas dinner and open the gifts the next morning. So that seems to be a growing trend in what we're seeing here. Midnight Mass is still pretty strong, but the other Masses tend to be uh, less and less well attended because people are moving towards the earlier Mass on Christmas Eve. Right. 
You mentioned at the opening of the program, Bishop Smith, that opportunity to take some time away for couples, for example, to have that date night. But as we, you know, we're just entering the season, there's four weeks. We could do a day retreat. We could go to the grotto. We could go to Mount Angel. There's plenty of places or just to be able to take a few hours. Just some thoughts about making that commitment to take some time this Advent. So why do we do all these little things in Advent to signify that this is different and this is somewhat special? So we have the rest of the year. What do we do during those those times? It's we are normal. Where it's, it's a normal cycle, a normal sequence, a normal schedule. But then we add these things into this period to signify that this is different. There is something special going on. So all those things you suggested are ways to do that. And there are plenty of others as well. Do something that comes from the aspect of our life of faith to remind ourselves and those who are with us that this is a special time in which we are preparing for the coming of the Lord. And as you pointed out, it can be a day retreat, maybe. I know some families that will say we're going to do a pilgrimage to, say, Mount Angel or the Grotto or some other religious site uh, as part, just, just one thing that we do during those four weeks uh, as preparation for what we're doing. Right. It's a great way to prepare and to make the way for the coming of the Lord. Bishop Smith, it's always a delight to have you here in studio for the Voice of the Shepherd. Will you help us close this time with a prayer and your blessing? Certainly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, we ask you to bless us as we begin this Advent, and as we continue this Advent. Lord, we ask that this Advent would be different from those before. Lord, we ask that you would remind us more and more of your presence in a deeper way of how you came into this world to bring us salvation, to bring us the good news, and to bring us together. And Lord, we ask that as we celebrate this upcoming great feast of Christmas, the incarnation, you taking on human flesh, Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts, not only to the gifts that we give one another, but to the ultimate gift, you giving yourself to us. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Mary, Queen of Peace, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much, Bishop Smith. Thank you all for joining us on this episode of The Voice of the Shepherd. For Bishop Smith, I'm Dina Marie Hale. And until our next encounter, may you have a blessed week. You've been listening to The Voice of the Shepherd with Archbishop Alexander Sample a production of the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon. To subscribe to this podcast and access to all of our past shows, visit moderndayradio.com. Please email your comments and questions for the show to info at archdpdx.org. Learn more about the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon online at archdpdx.org. Peace be with you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through MaterDayRadio.com or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.